Good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to our guests from Montreal. I had a moment just to say hello to you and uh, thanks for making the journey and uh, coming here. And uh, should God will, we'd be more than glad to welcome you in our midst in many ways. So welcome them. And they're going to have a chance to be with us for a little bit after the chapel this morning. This is not an easy topic. It's not easy to uh, think about. It's not easy to reflect on. But the Bible is full of instruction to us and help when it comes to the whole area of racism. And this morning as I bring this message to you, I'm going to ask that you be praying about what it is that God is saying to you in your own heart about this. And perhaps later as we think about it as a community, um, when we have our hot potato lunch, and uh, thanks to our dean for this great idea that we cover off some topics that we don't often have a chance to think together about. So I hope you'll all stay for that. Will you join me in prayer? The title of the message is, It Takes a Cross to Build a Bridge. It Takes a Cross to Build a Bridge. So that's it. I think we're done now. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's, let's pray together. Father, you do have the whole world in your hands. Although there are times we confess that we don't understand all that's happening around us, we are at a loss to see people treat others, nations, wars, violence, Lord, as we come into this today, I pray that you'd help us to hear your spirit and to understand your heart and your mind on these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I asked that we might reflect around Genesis 1 and also Galatians 3. And there are a few other scriptures that I want to use, obviously, as we go through it. For those of you who are in my class this term, you'll know that we're reading a book about Trinitarian ministry and how we understand the Trinity. And uh, one of the uh, chapters that we're looking at is this whole area of simplicity and how in God there is a complex simplicity in understanding the Trinity. Alfred North Whitehead has written this about simplicity. So you think this morning about all things that you think might be, well, racism, that's a simple topic, and that shouldn't be too complex. Well, Whitehead has said this. He says, the only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity to be found on the far side of complexity. The only simplicity to be trusted is the simplicity to be found on the far side of complexity. Now this topic is very complex and it requires and deserves a depth of inquiry that the best minds have to offer. However, beyond the depth and width of inquiry, there is a simplicity that emerges when we examine this topic in the light of the biblical record. A simplicity that will result in justice and action that is righteous 
because of the revelation God provides in His Word. This month has been designated Black History Month, and in this province of Nova Scotia, it is referred to as African Heritage Month. And it does provide us an opportunity to look at the troubling and sticky word of racism. Perhaps the best way to begin to think about this is to provide an example. And in all your lives, I'm sure you can think of examples of racism. And some of you will recall the Rosa Parks story. And if you visit the Henry Ford Museum in Metro Detroit, uh, you will find there in this museum many objects and you'll find automobiles. You will actually find a bus. And I'm going to tell you the story of the bus. Some of you don't know this story. But this inscription is written there about this bus that you will find in this museum. Rosa Parks, a 42-year-old African woman who worked as a seamstress, boarded a Montgomery bus or Montgomery city bus to go home from work. Now, the year was 1955. What happened next launched a new era in the quest for freedom and equality. She sat near the middle of the bus, just behind the ten seats reserved for whites. Soon all of the seats in the bus were filled. When a white man entered the bus, the driver, which he followed the standard practice of segregation at that time, the driver insisted that all four blacks sitting just behind the white section give up their seats so that the man could sit there. Mrs. Parks refused to give up her seat. Her action was spontaneous and not premeditated, although her previous civil rights involvement and strong sense of justice were obvious influences. She said, When I made that decision, I knew I had the strength of my ancestors with me. When I did a little further research into this story, which I was very familiar with, I found a new um, fact that I didn't know. I did not know that that very same bus driver, she refused to drive on his bus, I didn't know that 12 years earlier the same bus driver had driven off leaving her uh, beside the street. Um, he drove off because she refused at his instruction to not enter the front of the bus, the door, but the back. So they had some history. Now that story creates different kinds of emotional reactions. Unfortunately, our world is full of similar stories, stories that are about individual people, stories that are societal, stories where there seems to be almost faceless people, men, women, Children who have endured unspeakable violence as a result of extreme racism. If you simply click the channels on your television of the kind of ethnic conflict in the world at this time, it's almost impossible to look at one human being. We see the sea of faces. And we become almost desensitized to what's happening in our world because we are almost with an overwhelming sense of powerlessness to know what to do about it or where to even begin. The word racism is one of those words that we want to 
apply to somebody else. We say, well, maybe they're racist, but I would never be racist myself. Beginning in the late 90s, and particularly from the year 2000 to 2007, I had a privilege to work with a group of people that were known as the Racism Working Group with our Convention of Atlantic Baptist Churches. Dr. Morey and I served together as members of that group through those years. There were very painful discoveries, but there were also hopeful conclusions. One of the members of our group is Dr. Lois Mitchell. She serves as the Director of Public Witness for our convention. This is what she wrote as we pulled together our conclusions, and several documents are available on the convention website, very helpful documents. Listen to this. Racism is rooted in the belief that a group or groups of people are by heredity and nature intrinsically superior to the rest of humankind. I want to read that again. Racism is rooted in the belief that a group or groups of people are by heredity and nature intrinsically superior to the rest of humankind. Racism demands, supports, and legitimates the use of power in order to define, devalue, dominate, and discriminate against those considered inferior. Racism emerges as a dogma which is deliberately cultivated and transmitted by a dominant group. In 1963, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Declaration on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination stating, quote, that any doctrine of racial differentiation or superiority is scientifically false, morally condemnable, socially unjust and dangerous, and that there is no justification for racial discrimination in theory or in practice. And yet today the same body refuses to step in and act in situations of global ethnic cleansing. It is easier sometimes to use words about our convictions than to actually act, whether it's on an individual basis or even the entire United Nations. Further in this document that we produce, we find these words about the sin of racism. Racism has both social and spiritual implications. It affects individuals, often through the societal structures which defines their daily lives. From a social and psychological perspective, racism is devastating. From a Christian perspective, racism is sin. God created the diversity of races and invites us to live together in community, loving one another as we love ourselves. Racism is fundamentally a spiritual problem because it denies our true identity as children of God and diminishes our effectiveness in mission and ministry. Racism is the sin that perceives persons to be inherently inferior to others simply because of their race. Racism is not simply prejudice. Prejudice leads people to view other groups unfavorably based not on facts but on preconceived ideas. Prejudice combined with power. If you are the dominant culture, prejudice combined with power produces racism. Racism uses the power structures of society to provide privilege for some and disadvantage for others. A further quote. 
Racism is personal and systemic, affecting institutions both sacred and secular. Racism results in such dreadful acts of, and I'm going to read some things that we know in the history of this world that have been brought about because of racism. Dreadful acts of slavery, colonialism, religious wars, and the denigration of women and children, the horrors of ethnic cleansing, mass murder, the displacement of millions of persons. Last evening, I didn't bring the pictures. I thought of it. I decided not to be sensational and not use any pictures. I looked as far as I could see in the fields of Zaire and the ethnic cleansing and the issues that were going on between the Tutsis and the Hutus. Camps of refugees. Tents. As far as the eye could see. Gross violation of civil and human rights. Criminal actions against indigenous people. Remember the quote I started with? The only simplicity is to, to, that is to be trusted is the simplicity to be found on the far side of complexity. Racism is very complex. It's very complex in, in an individual society. It's very complex in a particular region and even in, in Nova Scotia in terms of the history and the issues between blacks and whites in this province. It's very complex and broad and deep and difficult to get a handle on, but we must try. And yet, on the far side of all the complexity, I look at the Word of God and I read there in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created human beings in His image. In the image of God, He created them. And God blessed them. And the biblical record clearly outlines the effects of sin that we all refer to as the fall from Genesis 3 and the effects of sin bore fruit in the murder that occurred in Genesis 4 and every manner of evil including the rising up of one people group after another so much so that God regretted he'd made human beings. And then in, in Genesis 12 to Abraham these words and I want us to understand, and I'm sure Dr. Wooden in his classes teaches this, that when God chose the nation of Israel to work in them and through them, He simply chose them as one nation. But they, were, they alone were never to be just His people. Never. Listen to these words. Genesis 12, as God worked in a human being to create a nation and through them, He says, I will make you into a great nation. In Genesis 12, to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Whatever light God gave to the people of Israel, they were to be, what? A light to all the nations. The mandate that was given to Israel was to be a light to all the nations, to all the peoples of the world. We'll soon come to the season of Lent, which will lead us to Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' interactions with people in Jerusalem. We'll watch Jesus as He overthrows those tables of the buyers and the sellers. Do you know where that took place? If you traveled to Israel today, you would know there are different courts around the temple. This particular incident of the overthrowing of those 
those tables, that occurred where? Who knows? Anybody? It did. It occurred in the court of the Gentiles. Yes, Jesus would have been concerned about the injustices that would have occurred because of the pocketing of money and the unjust sale of doves and even in the exchange. Yes, but that's not, I don't think, why he overturned the tables. He was concerned about injustices and fair exchange that wasn't happening. But listen to what he said. My house. And picture it. One of the marvels and the beauties of the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem that could be seen as the pilgrims made their way in the ancient world. It was something to behold. It was the place where God met his people. Listen to Jesus as he says, as he's throwing out and throwing away all those doves and they're scattering and there's a lot going on. He says this, My house is to be a house of prayer. Are you ready for this? For all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Make way for all people to come to me and to worship me, says the Lord of hosts. Lest any of us ever think that God only planned to work forever through the nation of Israel. Wow, we thank God for all that He's done and is doing in that nation. It was not an end in itself. Even the temple courts, the court of the Gentiles, it was a place where even the Gentiles could come and worship. But even there, the buying and the selling prevented people from being able to worship. And God, through His Son Jesus, threw them out. I saw something new in the Great Commission as I prepared for this message. I did my doctoral work in evangelism and church growth and renewal and spirituality. And as I prepared for this message, I saw something new. Are you ready for it? The resurrected Jesus speaking to the disciples said what? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of who? All the peoples of the world. That should be enough for us to know the heart of God. The gospel is for all the peoples of the world. No exclusion, only inclusion. Baptize them, he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It is to all the nations because of the basic dignity and equality of all persons. Later, Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia 3 and 26, In Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Are you ready for what you've heard so many times? Here it is. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Let that settle. In Christ, God does not distinguish among the nations. Can you all go check mark in your minds? There is neither slave nor free. Were there slaves at the time when Paul wrote to the people at Galatia? Yes, but he says, in Christ, there's neither slave nor free. Are you ready for the next one? We spent time on this one last time. In Christ, there is neither male nor female distinction. 
in the sense that everyone is equal before God and has access to God in Christ. For you are all one in Christ. And then this magnificent vision in the last book of the Bible, John sees the great revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, and I love this. After this I looked, and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God in worship and adoration. This has been made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Ephesians 2 and 13, we hear these words. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, and believe me, it's a long ways from Jerusalem to Ephesus. They were just the Gentiles. They would have been in the court of the Gentiles. Couldn't get access to God. Listen, in Christ you were once far away. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one, that is Jew and Gentile. Destroyed all the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility, making peace to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Friends, this morning, there may be racism in the unredeemed world but there should be no racism in the church. There may be discrimination and racism in the heart of the one who is not born again, but let there be none among God's people. Let there be no surprise that Jesus, as he said, had to pass through Samaria to meet the woman at the well, a member of the hated Samaritan race, He had to pass through Samaria to meet her that day. Not only was she a Samaritan, she was a woman. And she was a woman who was not highly regarded in her community. She would not even have made the ladder's lowest rung. He came to her. And not only was her world turned upside down, but the whole town through her testimony. Let there be no surprise that the parable of the man left half dead in the ditch between Jerusalem and Jericho is about a hero. And the surprise of the story is that the hero is none other than a Samaritan. Can you imagine the Jewish listeners listening in to Jesus and listening to the story? Who's the hero? The hero? Who's the hero? The hero is a Samaritan. I want to say to you today, he was not a hero because he was a Samaritan. He was a hero because he did the right thing when he saw a human being in need and that day the kingdom of God came in that ditch. And in that inn where that man was taken because God's will was done on earth that day as it is, sorry, as it is in heaven. Do you understand? It's not about Jew and Samaritan. It's because the kingdom of God came. Please, please be careful of the invisible walls that you create in your minds that you think you can justify. 
when some people are tempted to let some people in and send others away. Racism and its eradication is an issue of justice and righteousness. It takes a cross to build a bridge. And the cross has been laid down for us to be able to cross over to one another. The peoples of the earth are made in the image of God and that is their dignity. Sin has tarnished, stained, and fundamentally altered that image, but the blood of Jesus cleanses and His power transforms our thinking to be like His. Do you remember in the Gospels how Jesus had mercy on the Roman centurion? When He came to Him and said, My servant is ill, just say the word. Or on the Syrophoenician woman? Scripture says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. However, who all, however, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The power of God's Spirit is available as we confess our sins and pray for a new heart, that we may build bridges between people and not walls. Gail and I have had the privilege over these last couple of decades, actually, to travel among peoples in the world. One of my first trips was to China. I remember being taken to Nanjing. I remember our guide, Chinese guide, telling us about the rape of Nanjing. If you want to read about the devastation of the Japanese against the Chinese in that situation. And only recently did the Japanese government even admit that such an event had occurred. We've traveled in Israel, a country that's known persecution. I've been in Poland. I visited Auschwitz and Birkenau. I've seen what remains of concentration camps and the ovens. And yet today, for those of you who will travel to Israel, you'll see the wall and why it can be justified to protect the nation of Israel. Some of the atrocities today that a nation is offering, giving, leading in in ways that some of those same people have been persecuted. It's beyond us. Stood at what remained of the the wall, another wall, in Berlin. The hatred, the reasons for that wall. Been in Korea. Seen the complexity there, North and South Korea trying to understand it. And I've been in churches in this convention and in this province who had a history that at one point, not far from us, one of our churches in Truro, that would only allow black people to sit in the balcony. And it was policed. That's where, it wouldn't be called policed, but that's where they were to sit. The African Association came about because of racism and discrimination. 
But it doesn't need to persist in this day. But it's complex. All I know is this. In Jesus Christ and in the power of His Spirit, I have been privileged through our Baptist World Alliance to visit the peoples of the world in South America and in Africa and in Asia, across North America and in Europe. And who can understand anything of what's happening today in Syria? And who can understand anything of what's happening in this country among Aboriginal peoples and Indigenous peoples? And I'm so thankful that we as a college are trying to sort out what we would do in a partnership, which you'll hear more about, with an organization that some of you would have heard about in terms of um, Terry LeBlanc, who was with, with us about a month ago and spoke to us. And our own Danny's going to attend a conference as we try to begin to think about what does this mean? How do we begin to sort this issue out, which is right in front of us? Complexity. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to offer you the opportunity to confess to God any area of your own heart that needs confessing. But also I'm going to ask that you pray to God and ask that as a people, we would know how to serve Him. That we would understand what it means to make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so clear on your heart and your mind about how you love everyone, all the nations. Help us to know how to love everyone, especially the person just in front of us, right here in our own community and in this province as we try to understand how we can be healers and not those who would hurt. In Jesus' name. Amen. And it takes a cross to build a bridge. Thank God for the cross.